Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Sales Syndicate podcast. Uh, it's Ellis Campbell again, so I'll be hosting this week. And I'm very excited to welcome Alex, uh, who actually has got a massive background within channels and partnerships, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. Um, I was going to go through and give you a bit of an intro, Alex, but to be honest with you, I think you'll probably do that a lot better yourself. So uh, over to you, good sir. Yeah, cheers, Ellis. Yeah, happy to be here. So yeah, my uh, my name's Alex Whitford. I'm the VP of Partnerships for a um, a marketing automation tool designed at enabling the channel. Um, and it's a business is called Chanext. And yeah, I've spent uh, eight years now building channels and building partnerships right across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And um, yeah, my my role previous to this, I ran uh, Zoom's distribution strategy through uh, through the pandemic, right, massively scaling up their channels to help them with I think the biggest tailwind in history. So that was a, yeah, high volume, uh, high focus. And yeah, it was a a great way to understand really the power of the channel and how you can help facilitate and drive huge amounts of business in sort of SME, mid-market and enterprise. I mean, great. And I can't imagine going through a pandemic as a way to initiate yourself into that process can't have been been easy. And I guess actually one of the the first things I, I really wanted to discuss with you is, you know, I guess... How did you how did you go into the channel? Because just for the, the the background, I guess for the listeners, you know, we we probably met I don't know probably seven eight years ago now as as very fresh faced salespeople and uh, probably were both more geared towards that new business development side. And obviously, I've gone down one route and you've gone down a very different route. So yeah, I think it'll be quite interesting to see how you ended up going down that path and uh, you know how other people could potentially follow that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we uh, yeah we met. I think literally my first ever sales training. So I think I'd been in the business two weeks, and so yeah, you saw me right at the infancy, and infancy being the right word in my my career. But yeah, it, it was dumb luck, really. I just landed in a in a in a business that was aimed at recruiting and enabling partnerships and and driving resellers to help drive. Um, you know, significant amount of, of, of business. And, and yeah, I, I loved that new business acquisition mentality, which maybe isn't something that you see a lot in the channel business, because typically it's very much partnership. It's, it's account management, it's relationship orientated. Um, but that sort of focus and aggression really helped drive my career forward because, you know, I wanted to keep recruiting new partners, keep onboarding them, keep enabling them, and, and, and ultimately just keep adding to the, to the revenue and margin model that the channel sees. Um, but yeah, it's a, for, for me, it's, it's done my career really well and why I give people who are entering, sort of leaving university and coming into the sales game for the first time, why I tell them to focus on channel because um, from a network perspective, it's fantastic. I spent seven years networking as my actual job um, and yeah. so while other people have very end user focused and they build a very strong end user network, those businesses aren't likely to hire you because you're selling to them. Whereas I was building business plans and building sales strategies with businesses, which um, in a weird way is just one long interview. So, you know, I very regularly now get offered um, consultancy jobs or, or offered permanent jobs because they've I've worked with those businesses for two, three, four, even, you know, even up to seven, eight years. Um, and so, yeah, for, for people who want to accelerate a sales career, working within the channel is fantastic. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think one of the things when I first joined into sales was, you know, traditionally you go down the route of, are you going to go into being an account manager? Are you going to go into new business, SDRAE? It probably wasn't until two or three years into my actual sales career where I actually really explored the partnership, the channel. It always seems like more softer selling, which was probably naive of me at the time. 
Um, and it was only actually when we started going in and building out those relationships and I had to work with those teams that you really understand what goes on in the background. And it's not just going and having a beer with the director of you know another company. Of course, that's always a nice thing to do. Um, but actually, when you can start getting other people to help sell your product, it was only when I could see our partnership team slowly taking over um, some of our new business sales targets where I all of a sudden thought, right, I need to um, need to take this a little bit more seriously and really have a have a look at it. And um, even to this day now, you know, even doing new business development, probably be 50% of my my deals since I've joined the company I've joined have been black book of contacts of people I've worked with or in the past who've moved around different businesses and areas. So I definitely think um, if you're fresh face coming into sales, the networking side of going down the channel and the partnership routes probably massively undervalued unless you're in that that world and that that domain. Um, yeah. It's and- what I- Oh, sorry, Gob. Yeah, from a from a development perspective, right? I'm a big um, I'm a big proponent of like get mentors around you that teach you very specific skills. Um, and the partnership and the, the sort of channel ecosystems a phenomenal way to do that. I remember being like completely blown away that I was four months into uh, my sales career, and you had like managing directors listening to you about maybe you know growth strategies for the next twelve months. Now. I was probably talking absolute waffle if I look back in <laughs> on hindsight, right? But it gave you access to to them and it gave you access to understand their thought process. And because you're not trying to sell them something, you're trying to build a cohesive plan together, they'll give you feedback, right? And and so that's led me down a um down a path of being very, very focused around delivering like a very good plan and then driving execution behind that. And you sort of talked about, you know, new business is a, is a, a great function and works really quickly, but a well-designed channel and well-designed partnerships got a massive runway. And then suddenly you see this giant that you're like, Oh my God, we can't get near that number. And that, and that is why I love the channel because it's such an awkward and difficult thing to get right. <laughs> and once it's right, it's better than anything out there. No, I, again, slight bias from my side, but I, I do agree. Unfortunately, I think still even at some of the companies I've been at in the past, it doesn't always get the, the love and attention it needs. And then it's only when that point when you hit something like a recession, a global pandemic, where your traditional routes of success that have always brought you in that new business, those new client acquisitions and those new logos, when they start drying up, that's typically when you see some of these businesses then start going, well, actually, we need to look at this. How are our competitors going in and going out and winning these clients? And often, as you said, it's through those mutual relationships, through those networks, those marketplaces, all those different avenues that you can go down to explore. Um, we've I did want to also go through, so I guess this is probably like the next question I had in my head for you. We've sort of slightly touched upon it already, but I guess in terms of looking at more of a – so we'll maybe steer away from like the larger enterprise clients who have all got lots of mutual relationships – why is it so important for maybe more of a startup or a scale up to to try and invest early doors compared to maybe going through the normal methods and it been an afterthought once they've already gone you know IPO'd or Series F you know what why is it so important to maybe try and have that process right early doors? Yeah, so the, the, there's a couple of reasons there. One, it's a long runway. It actually doesn't matter how much investment you have. Building a channel takes time. So you, you can't just throw, oh, I've got a $50 million budget, right? I'm just going to build a channel in three months. It takes, yeah. it takes months and really years to really start to be self-sufficient and running. The, the thing is, if you're into, you know, if you're series C, uh, series E, uh, D, E, and you're trying to scale and you're trying to drive for a massive IPO, having a channel network 
that's self-sufficient and driving your business is a massive value add. Um, and the other piece of advice I give um, SaaS businesses a lot, I do a, a lot of consulting around this, how they, um, how they can go and acquire enterprise end users. Um, enterprise end users buy from partners. Right. And they buy integration tools. They buy partnerships because, frankly, you know, let, let's pick a let's pick a subject relatively close to my heart. If I want to go and um, uh, acquire HSBC as a, a as a end user, well, they buy ninety percent of their technology through one partner. Now, I can either go and be the ten percent and run uphill, but guess what? I've just made that partner an enemy because they're going to try and sell a competing solution, and they win nine times out of ten. Or yeah. I can go and get that partner on. And by the way, that partner also sells to Lloyd's and Barclays and the other top financial institutions. So it's it's a lot of work because you have to recruit the partner and you have to get the partner to understand your value and get them to prioritize your product over a competing product. But if done effectively, they won't just take your product to one end user. They take your product to multiple. Um, and, uh, you know, box you know we want to box smart here not not just work hard and and for me that's why turning on a channel is critical especially if you want to tackle those enterprise end users i think when you're looking at those enterprise again completely agree with what you're saying there and i think when you look at those enterprise end users as well the likelihood is you, you can get in if you can get in with you know using hsbc as an example it's a very incestuous market so if you've been working there you've been working through the partnership you've got an introduction into lawyers you've got an introduction into barclays hsbc deutsche bank whatever they may be the chances are if you can build a relationship and you can build that through having a network of partners where you've all got a collective value and therefore you build that relationship on a, a grander level if they move between financial services you have obviously naturally got a warm introduction to go in and then pitch your product and your service offering again even outside of the partnership and the, the you know the network and the relationship and the agreement you have in place by that point hopefully you've got that mutual relationship there with them that you can then follow them across and naturally try to sell to them again. So yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree, agree more. Um, already thinking about this, it's making me think about some of our partners and how we can, uh, how we can look at it on a, a grander scale. Um, you've, touched upon one point actually I wanted to bring up with you, which was at the start, you mentioned, you know, you sort of fell into uh, the channel and what you found early doors was actually rather than trying to be not slow, but rather than trying to like just be really friendly and build a relationship, you were quite aggressive in terms of the way you would go out and try to win those partnerships. You're almost taking like a, a biz, new business mentality to the partnership model. Um, but I guess looking for maybe whether it be scale up businesses or salespeople as an individual, what would you say are like the, the core skills and differences between someone who's maybe in a more traditional sales role compared to the skill set maybe required for, for working the partnership and the channel? For me, maybe one is is patience because it's a longer longer sales cycle, it's a longer process. But um, yeah, keen to keen to get your thoughts. Yeah, so there's so certainly patience is 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 a good one to pick out, right? Because your sales cycles inherently are longer. However, the the other two that I'd call out is relationship focused, right? Which ironically isn't particularly my strength. Um, but having someone who enjoys the process of networking is really critical to sort of long-term success. And the other one is commercial awareness, right? So one of the things that made me really like push my career on, especially in the, in the early part is I wasn't interested in selling product. I was interested in building business plans. And so I went into sort of MDs and said, 
let me understand your business. Let me understand where your three-year growth plan comes from. What technology stacks? What's your IP, uh, ideal uh, customer profile? How are you accessing that? And then can I fit into that in any way? And had a very much open discussion. Um, but you can imagine the difference between that conversation and can I please talk to you about the features and benefits of this product that I really, really like? It's That's just not an interesting conversation. Whereas the one I'm having, they can see I'm really trying to understand how do we win together? And people love talking about their own businesses. So you know, yeah, they wel <laughs> welcome me in all the time. And that was the thing that allowed me to be hyper aggressive because i think maybe if you know personally for me building relationships wasn't something that you know is at the forefront of what i wanted to achieve but i wanted to make sure that i was making a load of money and that my partners were making a load of money and for the more commercially savvy partners out there that resonated really well now that's 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 really interesting in terms of i i would say from the time i've known you at least that uh, i would think relationship building would be one of your your stronger suits um, but I guess when you're, you're going out there and you mention everything around there about trying to get, sell them the vision, the dream, rather than just products and feature dumping around what you can do, trying to actually get into the detail. And I think a lot of that does cross, cross over with more strategic sellers as well in terms of if I go to sell out you know, a product or an offering, I won't go in and tell them what my feature or, or the platform does. I'll go in and try to understand what the business objectives are and how we can align to those. Um, but how... I think it's very different from a salesperson to a channel. How do you initiate some of those conversations? Because from my standpoint, I can go out, I can do a bit of background information about what's going on in the business. I can see what issues they're having. So if, if it's new business generation, I can see what they're already currently using, the tech stack compare. But I guess, how do you approach that for more of the, the partnership and the channel? Model. Yes. So l l let me put myself as, as, as if I'm a SaaS player vendor, right? And I, and I want build to a, build a channel from, from the ground up. First, I understand what my integration stack looks like. So say, you know, let's talk something near your, your realm, right? If you're, you're selling business development intelligence um, and you've got a HubSpot integration, cool. That's where I start. So who's selling HubSpot? Well, who's doing that effectively? And then how can I go into those partners and understand why they sell HubSpot? What uh, benefit commercially would be if they sold our product? alongside that and then we very much call that the attachment play and what's great about that is there's a channel built right and so this is some of the stuff when when i sit down with SaaS businesses and, and get them to understand how to be smarter with building a channel and not you know just hammering the phones all day that's how you can accelerate through because someone who's selling hubspot wants to be able to sell more products to the same end users and so then having uh, having an integration into that and having a sales strategy that brings those two places together means that I can piggyback off a, you know, a multi-billion dollar vendor for, for not doing much work apart from I'm bringing the partner ease of sale and easy revenue. That's interesting. And I guess my, my next question to follow that up with, and apologies, not meant to be an interview style, but yeah, go for to be it. honest, you know a lot more than I do in, in terms of this this part of the world. So you go out, you, you have a partner, you're able to to get them excited about selling your product. Um, you know, there's lots of different partners out there that you can go and, and create those relationships with. Initially, what you might typically find with that, those sales teams is there's that initial excitement. They're going out, they're pitching a product, something new to go and talk to their end users about. How do you manage that when you get to the six month part, when something new and shiny has come into the partnership model and maybe those initial leads that were flying through the system because there was that massive push, you've done webinars together, joint sessions. How do you 
keep up that you know continuous um relationship i guess to try and generate those uh, inbound leads yeah for sure you've called out the, the really the biggest challenge that i see in the channel today which is um something like 80 percent of ch partners churn within the first three months and that's because if i go and recruit a partner look I, hey we're all good salespeople, right i can sell a great story how much money we're all going to make we're all going to win together and then nothing happens and then immediately, you know what salespeople are like, right? Inherently, yep. we're all lazy. So I want the easiest win I can get. How do I get to quota quickest and easiest? And you told me it was going to be your product. Then it didn't happen. Then I don't trust you. So that, that's what we see. And, and the way to fix that gap is enablement, right? So we need to generate inbound demand from end users into partners. And so we do that by building a very, very structured go-to-market. So if, let's take the... the um, the integration with HubSpot again. Let's do a white space analysis into your current end users and ask how do we add value into those end users and generate revenue? That's option one. Option two is how do we, for net new end user acquisition, tie HubSpot and our product together? And what can we do to help co-sell into those new end users together? And then third, for retention and renewal, when those customers are renewing their HubSpot is there a way that we can suddenly come in and provide extra value, sometimes even free of charge for a period of time, so that they start living and breathing the sales cycle? That's what you do to build the engine and to get it going. But you don't do that by you know, throwing everything at the wall and seeing something sticks. Focus is critical because where I see channels fail is promise too much, and then nothing happens in the right timeframes, and then ultimately it falls over. What you want to do is promise three wins and deliver three wins and then continually do that as you then ramp. And once it becomes sort of indoctrinated into the sales process, that's ultimately how you're going to win over time. So again, I think you've, you've touched upon another point there that I was hoping to discuss, which you mentioned, obviously, so you're going out with them, you're trying to keep the, I guess, realistic expectation and transparency, you're not promising the world and then under-delivering, you're trying to put realistic expectations in place and then having a really clear plan and vision for where you need to take that. Um, but the point I was quite interested upon that you touched upon there was you mentioned sort of free access. So a way almost to try and that, that bait to dangle to, to catch the fish. And um, I think there's been a lot of debate across the industry around freemium models um, in terms of, you know, how, how does it work and does it work? And um, I think from a, again, from a new business perspective, I can go out, I can run pilots or free trials or access. It's very good. I can sit down, I can set a metric. But when you're trying to manage that from a, a partnership perspective, so when you're managing multiple different points, how, how do you manage that, that process? Or is, is that even the, the model that you typically would go to market to use? It, it it can depend if it's hardware versus software, right? Software is a lot <laughs> easier to give away for free and then start True, to charge yeah. further down the line. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. The first thing I start with is clarity, right? So if I say to a partner, right, we're going to drive a freemium model or we're going to drive proof of concepts, like, again, what's the volume? What's the churn rate? What's our expected conversion? And setting those expectations very clearly. Whenever I build business plans with with vendors or partners or whoever, we, we very clearly state out the lead and lag measure. So the lag measure typically is revenue. That's obviously what we're driving towards, but the lead measures yeah. might be volume of uh, end users spoken to, proof of concepts delivered, conversion rate, churn rate. And we map all of that out very clearly so that even if someone hasn't achieved revenue today, if you're hitting all the lead measures, they're confident that you're gonna hit the, the, the proven lag. And so that's where clarity is 
it has to be paramount to building a partnership. And again, this is where I stress, um, I stress to people who work within the channel, integrity is everything. You can only screw over a partner once and they never forget. And the problem is the channel is so incestuous that you end up screwing over one partner and you don't, you screw over a channel because they all talk to each other. They all go for drinks and suddenly you're the guy that screwed them out of one deal and, and it just never goes away. So making sure that we're very, very structured in terms of how we go to market and delivering on what we promised. No, that, that, that makes sense. And, um, I think again, so we've, we've recently been to some, we, we've, we've, we have a few partners here. I was at an event in London Monday and Tuesday. And, um, to that point, I, I think quite often when we're, we're dealing with other partners, the amount of inside knowledge that you find out from those other partners who in the industry is doing what, who's done well, who's actually lost, you know, ex customer or it's, it's it's actually quite alarming, really, how much information you can find out from going to one of these events. Um, and I do think that the freemium model is a quite a good avenue in terms of being able to hook someone in, even if it's just, you know, a taster to it. Um, I think back to your point about transparency, and I think this goes well for channels and partnerships, but just even normal traditional sales, if you can set realistic expectations, you can give them some access to it. And you're, you're honest. I think the point I always try to run when we're working with partners, we're working with anyone, whether it be a new client, a partner, a vendor, it's always that, you know, I need you to be a good fit for me as well. It's not about me just trying to sell to you no matter what. You need to be a good fit. I don't want to sell a deal to you. And then in six months time, you churn because you weren't a good fit. You weren't the right market. You weren't in the right sector, right geography. So I, I think you've really honed in on a point there that I think for especially in more of the, the startup scale up world, you can be so desperate to bring on new logos, new acquisitions to try and drive that growth. But if you're not bringing on the right, partners the right clients the right logos then potentially you're setting yourself up for a, for future fail in terms of of churn rates yeah absolutely we um you know we as a sort of management team here sit down and um and and discuss uh, customer success focused business right and and that's something we re really drive as a mantra internally which is we see the the other pillars of the the business right the revenue org marketing technology our partnership team they're all the outside piece. Customer success is in the middle because ultimately net revenue retention is the only thing that matters because yeah. it's no good acquiring 200 grand and churning out 100 because the operational lag of that process is horrendous and ruins your brand. Uh, end users don't like you. Partners don't like you. And so what we tend to focus on is sustainable growth. And what that means is qualifying out partners and customers that we don't believe will deliver an ROI for them and for us. And I think that's what's so strong about the, the sort of channel and the partnership mentality is it's no good me selling you one deal because the idea isn't that I sell you one deal. The idea is that I sell hundreds through you. And the only yeah. way that works is if it's win-win. No, again, I think uh, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting point around how do you how do you both win because i do think we've seen i've seen a few businesses and I, i've been in some businesses in the past where we've been approached with partnerships and it's they have one we have one logo one client that they're interested in you know we work with one customer that they decide we really want to win that and they'll be willing to chuck you know five or ten grand at a partnership model with you in the hopes of winning that one client um but then as you said if you're not aligned in terms of your priorities you introduce them to that client 
and ultimately if they don't like it or they don't like them as in terms of their business approach maybe their their customer success isn't you know one-to-one maybe they don't really understand the business objectives that in, then impacts your own relationship with it so i, I think if, if one you take anything out of the podcast today and especially for those who are maybe more looking at the channel uh, from newer set of eyes is that you need to be really selective in terms of the partners that you bring um, and I'm stealing that a little bit from your podcast because I've watched a few of them where you've gone through and, and spoke about that so we're obviously covering this at a, a very top level so if anyone else wants to go and, and check out um, your podcast I'm sure they can partnerships unraveled it's uh, been really good I'm, I'm still continuing to watch on it but um, I guess Moving back to that point where we're maybe more focusing on maybe some of the smaller businesses looking maybe like 50 to 500, maybe a thousand. We've covered it a little bit in detail, but how would you, what would be your first call to action if you, so you sat there now, you've got a new business sales function, you've got your SDRs, you've got your customer success, you know, you maybe have had a few top level conversations. How, how would you go about initially trying to get that, that partnership model off the ground and how would you structure a team around that? Yeah, sure. So the, the the first place I always start is at the end user, right? Because ultimately the name of the game is acquire and deliver value to end users and do that at scale. So who is your, and there's always one, doesn't matter any organization, doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, massive enterprise or a little SMB, there is one end user that perfectly defines your market. And then go and yeah. speak to that end user, go and understand how your product works into their organization from a real customer success perspective, what value are they getting? What is it missing? Um, And what does it integrate with? And then I then work backwards from that. So I would then say, you know, I've given you the HSBC example. And so we'll, we'll just, we'll run it for a, for a second to take you through the analogy. But if I go to HSBC and go, right, you're currently buying our product direct. What else do you integrate it with? Is it part of a solution? Tell me about the value it delivers. Really get that customer statement from them. And then I work backwards to say, who else do you buy from? And understand ideally how I weave our technology into a solution of technologies and who the partner buys the rest of those solutions from. And that's partner number one. And so then I work back and then I build a sales strategy to say, hey, isn't it interesting that we currently sell direct to HSBC, but you're selling these four other products that make it an entire solution. What other customers fit the profile of HSBC that you sell to? And how about I give you the HSBC deal and we then work on the other eight to 10 opportunities because one, I've given you a carrot, you understand that we deliver value, but here's a, such a strong statement from HSBC about how good this product is in conjunction with the other products they sell. That's a go-to-market offering where a partner's biting your hand off to take, your, uh, to take that journey with you. That, that makes sense. And I guess it's scalable, right? You know, not every startup's going to be able to be in a position to go out and win someone as big as a HSBC, but at whatever level you're looking at, whether it be SMB, mid-market, majors, enterprise, whatever level, there's always going to be that client if you're targeting them because, you know, you hit the sweet spot of growing out people from a 500 company, you know, they haven't got as a well-developed tech stack as maybe some of the larger players have, which means you fit that niche. There's always going to be those other suppliers who are also targeting that, that same sort of market. So, and I, I think that's, um, there's always a reluctance sometimes, I think, within the industry that you can see some of those as competition for budget and rather than complementary products. Um, and rather than actually speaking to the customer, as you said there, and really trying to get into the detail of how these all come together and why you both work there, 
you're right, rather than competing for spend, you can start collaboratively working together to actually try and go out and win new clients and, and different targets. So that's... Uh, and, um, yeah, not, not, not just that, right? So we, we do a lot of stuff around white space analysis. Um, and if, if you can get the balance effectively, and this is where it gets interesting. So say you sell to 100 mid-market end users um, and you integrate with a piece of technology and they sell into 100 end users. Some of those will be the same end users. And so you can go in to those existing end users and sell a nice story around, hey, did you know we have this integration? Here's some advice around how to use these two products together. Works fantastically. And then you can cross sell into each other's end users. And that's how channels and partnerships start to overtake new business teams because another business has done the work already in acquiring those end users. And suddenly you can blend the offering together. And the win there is both, both sets of vendors win, the partner wins and the end user wins because they're getting a better holistic solution together. And I guess the point there as well is that's, that's good for new client logo acquisition. But ultimately, if you can integrate into more of their other tools than their tech stacks, you're going to be stickier. Um, why are they going to go and use one of your competitors when you already integrate into three or four of their other systems and they might have to go away and get integration tools or go for a really lengthy process? So I guess on the whole, you're almost creating, using HSBC as an example, you're creating that really sticky position where you're all more likely to maintain that large, you know, flagship client because you're all working more collaboratively. Yeah, and, and look, look at something like Salesforce, right? The reason they're valued at ungodly amounts of uh, billions of dollars is not just because it's a fantastic tool, which it is, but it's because the integrations there are so knitted into the business, it's impossible to replace, right? It's not just, okay, it's just Salesforce. No, it integrates into our finance offering. It integrates into our communication tools. It integrates into our security. It does everything. And those integrations are deliberately designed to provide two things higher value to the end user and minimize churn. Yeah, I'd, I've not met, obviously we're in the, the sales space in terms of technology. We regularly talk to other sales tools providers. There's not a single person I know that doesn't integrate into Salesforce. It's just the uh, the immediate go-to and that's, yeah, that's almost the, the point there is that no one will want to use anything other than Salesforce because ultimately you can't, you're limiting yourself in terms of what you can do from an integration standpoint. And, and what's interesting about that is Salesforce have solution design partners. And yet I hardly speak to any organizations that go to those solution design partners and sell value into them to say, hey, this is how we integrate into Salesforce. This is our unique value add. How can we get in front of your end users to support your go-to-market motion so that you're delivering more value and you make money on the back end as well? Again, that's for me, I think that's one of the, the biggest things we can take away for those who are looking to maybe start and set this up is if you can make sure even with those larger players, even if you can't get a fully fledged partnership in place, if you can at least get enough that you can get tech support, you can make that integration as seamless as possible. If someone needs something slightly bespoke that includes your solution, you can get them on board. Then again, I think trying to win with clients, even just having that capability just makes it a lot more seamless. If you haven't got a traditional standard Salesforce setup, you know, which 90% of Salesforce users do, um, but if you can have them on board with you from even the tech standpoint to scope at how you change that for that 10%, then you're giving yourself a much greater chance of, uh, of closing and winning our business. Um, I think that's a, a pretty good point to end the uh, the partnership 
discussion point. I did have a last question for you, really, which was, um, it's a bit of a cheesy one, but it's been a common one that we've been doing across them at the moment, which is if you could give advice to yourself when you were first starting out, something you'd really wish you'd learned or picked up right at the beginning that you use day to day now that would have escalated and you know helped accelerate your career, what what would it be? So a little bit of a curveball for you, but uh, yeah. it'll, be, it'll uh, be a good one. Spend more time on LinkedIn. Um, I think is it, I, uh, yeah, LinkedIn, um, uh, one, it feels like I get an MBA every three days, like the amount of information and connecting with people like my, my job offer here, uh, to move country was based on me creating content around, um, around how to build a channel and, and, and how to scale up, um, SaaS businesses and, and how to do organizational redesigns. Um, and then I ended up speaking to the CEO here and in it, and I can't tell you how, much creating content has benefited one us as a business, but me as an individual. So yeah, my, my only frustration was I wish I'd started seven years ago and not two years ago. Well, if it makes you any better, I've only started six months ago. So my biggest selling point, I, I back myself in most aspects of sales. Biggest one for me, is social selling. Um, so even doing this, the podcast is completely new to me. And what I would say is normally outside my comfort zone, but we've had some amazing feedback already. It's meant I've got to reconnect with people like yourself as well. And I'll definitely offline be picking your brains on certain points as well. But um, yeah, I, I think um, you can always be seen as a little bit, not cringy, but I think people always worry what other people are going to think, people they've worked with. And I think you just have to get to a point where you just don't care because ultimately the returns are going to outweigh any of those feelings. Yeah, the, the, the one I always used to tell myself was if I don't post content, well, then they've, they've got nothing to not, they've got nothing to do with me anyway. And if I do yeah. post content and 50% of the world doesn't like it, well, who cares? They weren't looking at me anyway. So yeah. it's, you've just got the upside of, of, finding your niche and focus on value, right? That That's the thing that I've noticed every single time I try and create content or helping people. It's amazing. You'd be like, oh, I didn't get that many likes. And then I'll get a direct message being like, oh, I love the content over the last six weeks. And I go, you've never liked anything, but they just sit yeah. there and read it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's always good to get that feedback. Ignore the likes. It's If you get one message that's a direct lead or a piece of business to something to stem from, that's worth its weight in gold far more than a, than a like is. Um, yeah, absolutely. Look, really, really appreciate you coming on. For all of our listeners and everyone on LinkedIn, you know, please follow up with Alex uh, and the guys at ChenX. They've got a really good, uh, really good podcast, Partnerships Unraveled. It's been really interesting example here i wanted to bring you on today we're, we're currently building out our our partnership model as well so we'll certainly be talking to alex and, and using them guys so give them a check out um really good but uh, it's been a pleasure catching up and speaking with you and uh you know i'll catch everyone else on the on the next episode